Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Would you open to Galatians 5.13? So Galatians 5.13, and just, you can leave your Bible there, open there, because we're going to camp there pretty much the whole time, even though I'm going to have different scriptures. Um, We're just going to really spend a lot of time here. So Galatians 5.13. So if you get there, could you say that I'm, I'm there? Ida, I, I mean, not Ida, oh man, Elita. Uh, you are just so good at this because Ida is. Is Ida here? She's not here. I think they're, yeah. Um, I just remember, like, I would say, hey, could you guys open the Bible? And Ida would be like, I got it. And I'm like, somebody knows, knows her Bible around. Um, so Galatians 5 13 says this For you are called to freedom, brothers. And I mean, sisters also is just a way of, you know, they used to write back in the day. Um, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to, for the flesh, but through law, love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the um, spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed uh, each to other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, come on, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such a things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such a things there is no law and those who belong to christ who belong to christ jesus have been crucified uh have crucified the flesh rather with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another would you pray Jesus, we thank you, God, for tonight. We thank you, God, for every young person you brought here in the house. God, I ask right now that you open up our hearts, God, and you pour into us, God, your word. Lord, you bring healing and restoration, God. And Father, that tonight we get an awe sense of who you are. And Lord, that we would start looking at you with reverence and with awe and, and fear, God. And Father, we would walk in that before you. Lord, we thank you and exalt you. And my Jesus, we pray and everyone said... Amen. Well, tonight, um, I really want to speak to you guys on some things that God has been really laying on my heart. And uh, I think if you've been going here for some time, you probably know uh, what we preach about. But lately, I think God has been really convicting me. And um, He convicted me to go deeper. And I hope that maybe, you know, if tonight is a bit harsh, I I hope you you understand that I'm not doing this because, you know, I just really feel convicted in the sense. 
And I really have to stay, stay true to what God has called me to, to do. And, um, you know, I want to talk about the fire of God. I think through the old, throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is really like, um, you know, there's so many analogies, there's so many stories where fire is, is kind of, God is like a fire. There's actually a passage that says that God is a devouring fire. And um, I think for most of you, you understand what fire is. I mean, it, I don't think you can really get bored watching a fire. I, I, did, you, did you just notice that? Like, every single time you, you have friends over and you have your fireplace, I'm talking about the real kind of fire, not the one that I have on my house that's made out of, like, LED lights. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, a real fire by coal and by, by wood and so on and so forth. You know, like, I think, for me, I always get so mesmerized just watching. Like, I remember I would spend... The whole night at my friend Vlad's house, like, especially during Christmas time, right? Like, we would watch the fire and we'd spend the whole night just kind of sitting on the floor and talking. And I think there's such a, an amazing thing when your whole family comes around a fire, right? Like, especially if you work in construction and you spend the whole day working in the rain, right? You look forward to coming home, getting some hot chocolate. I'm already getting <laughs> excited, getting some hot chocolate and, and getting, you know, getting a blanket. And, and it's so cozy. It's so amazing to sit around the fire and just kind of watch it, you know, burn. Uh, <laughs> sounds kind of odd. Um, but you know how, how awesome that is. Like fire is just this amazing thing God has given us. And, and um, if you spend any time trying to survive in the wilderness, where's Alexi? Mm. Alexi knows, knows what I'm talking about. You have to get really good at, you know, making fires, right? Like, I mean, if you want to survive in the wilderness, that's what you do. You, you, you get really good at, at making fires. Because with fires, you can cook. You can make tools. There's so many things you can do with fire. You can purify water, right? Like, you can, you can actually refine metals and gold. Uh, I remember so many times at Boeing, I actually took this class called metallurgy, and we used fire to, like, forge things, to make things a lot stronger, um, if we look at, for example, diamonds, you know, diamonds are formed by p- intense pressure and intense heat, and that's how diamonds are formed. So if you've been under a lot of stress and pressure at your school, it's okay. God is molding you. Uh, God is trying to get your life that looks like a coal right now and turn you into a diamond. That's a cheesy analogy, but... Um, <laughs> Fire has some amazing things that you can do with it, but fire unchecked can become a bad problem, right? Like if you had fire in the fireplace and some of it jumped out, you don't go and look at it and like, oh, now I have two fires. (laughs) No, like you will try your best to put that out because in a matter of seconds, your, your, your house will be on fire, right? Like, this is not something you want to play with. And everyone is just so excited to see candles at weddings until that lady, you know, just bends over and her, her whole hair starts to catch on fire and then she ends up on YouTube, All right? Like, fire is an amazing thing until he goes wrong. And when he goes wrong, it usually goes really wrong. You know, somebody tries to... I don't know, put some, uh, burn some, some letter from an ex, and then somehow the fire jumps, and then some dry grass catches on fire, and then you have a, a raging wildfire that burns homes, right? Like, 
Fire uncontrolled is, is a crazy thing. You know, you can't, you shouldn't be playing with fire. Even though I grew up a pyro, I know the effects of, of that. I mean, for a long time, I learned all my lessons from my brother. My brother, and I mentioned this before, but my brother, like, my mom would describe him as someone who always ran around with a voodoo gasoline and matches trying to light something on fire. It's just, that was him. Until one day, he pretty much tried to play with fire right next to a hay stack, I mean, a stack of hay, rather, um, and then our whole house caught on fire and half of it burned down. So my dad had a conversation with him. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, a physical conversation. <laughs> but every single time, every single time fire gets out of the boundaries that was set for it, is about to do some damage. You know, and the problem is not necessarily in the fire. The problem is it has to be used in the, the way it was intended. So oh, when we look at in the Old Testament, we see that God himself describes himself as a devouring fire. And we have so many, te- so many stories, and I'm going to have to go through them really, really quick. For example, we have this one story where there's these two guys um, I'm actually going to read the passage because I think this, this is very, very important. In Leviticus 10, it says Aaron's son. So Aaron is, uh, his brother is Moses, and Aaron happens to be the high priest of, of the Holy of Holies of the temple. At that time, it was actually more like not the temple. It was the tabernacle. And his sons, they were in charge. They were priests too, and they were in charge of actually bringing, you know, sacrifices before the Lord. And one day, they brought a strange fire. So basically, they didn't do what God asked them to do. And, and look at this in Leviticus 10, says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord and by burning before him the wrong kind of fire different than what he or the Lord had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them all up, and they died before the Lord. So, the, so let me put this in perspective. Two pastors are serving the church, and they're doing something wrong, and God comes out with fire and destroys them. That's the God that we serve. Amazing. That, isn't that motivating? You know, God is good all the time. So, so, so obviously Moses has a problem with this. Well, actually Aaron has a problem with this. And, and Aaron, it's, that's his two sons. And they got just destroyed by just getting something wrong, right? And it says that Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness Through those who come near me, I will display my glory before all people. What God is saying is for those who come near to me, they will know that I am holy. If you come close to me, you'll understand that I mean business when I say that I am a God of holiness. And when I say something has to be done a certain way, it needs to be done a certain way. Two people lost their lives because they didn't do what God said they should be doing. Now, we have another story in, um, I think this is in Second Samuel 6, says, um, it's another story where we have this, this box that 
um, it's called the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, they, the Ark of, uh, of, of the Covenant was actually stolen. And on the way back, they, they tried to recover it, and on the way back, you know, God gave specific instructions that no one was to touch this box because this box is what actually carried the presence of God. And he said only priests were supposed to touch this card, I mean, this, this, this box. But what they've done, and they were supposed to carry it, but what they've done is they put it on this kind of like on this cart, and as the cart was rocking, right, the whole thing kind of, kind of tipped over. And this guy, who was trying to do the right thing, he put his hand to stable the Ark of the Covenant. And in that second, God, like, God destroyed him by fire again. And he says that David was mad about this. Uh, the, the passage says this, but when they arrived, um, the threshing floor... Uh, yeah, of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, so oxen who, uh, which were pulling the cart. And Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead by, um, because of this. So Uzzah died right there bef- uh, besides the ark of God. Different translation says that there was actually a fire that came out and he burned up. And David got mad and says, how are we supposed to carry this? And God says, when I gave you specific instructions, you need to carry those out. Only priests are supposed to touch this. For those who come near me, I will show myself holy. If you come near me, you will know that I mean business when I say that you should do this the way. Because here's the problem that people didn't understand is God is holy and people aren't. And when their sin in God's presence is about to get burnt up. If you, a person that is sinful comes close by and tries to, to kind of do things, even though they meant well, God's saying, you cannot mix my holiness with sin, sinfulness and call it good. Another, another story that we have here, um, and you can go through a lot of these, um, that I'm, just, I'm just amazed, right, like by, by all these stories that we see um, of God saying the same thing, that look, if you come near me, I will show, show myself holy. We see this, this, this another peach, picture of, of Moses coming to this burning bush, right? And he says that when he's coming close, God says, remove your shoes. And Moses does that. He says, because the ground that you're stepping on is holy. So again, it's the same idea that if you come close to God, okay, if you come close to God, please respect his holiness. Understand that at any moment, he can destroy you. But of course, I mean, we live in the you know, 21st century, and this is past Jesus, and obviously God doesn't just destroy people. But it was in the New Testament where we see this couple that decided that they're going to show off their wealth by giving everything they have to the church. But really, uh, Anania and Sapphira, you guys know that story, where, where this is the New Testament, right? Where they lie and say, well, you know, we're not going to give everything to the church. We're just going to keep some of the money for ourselves. And as they're walking in, saying like, yeah, we're good. We gave up everything that we had for the, ha- for the house. Peter looks at them and says, how could you possibly lie to the Holy Spirit? So first the guy comes and God strikes him dead right there. This is the New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. And then his wife comes in and says, is this how much you got for your house? And she's like, yeah. Says, well, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit too? And God strikes her dead too. 
Now we can look at it and say, well, that's not the Jesus that I serve. That's not the God that I serve. But in reality, God is the same God that was in the Old Testament. He's still the same God today. And I don't know which Jesus we are serving, but if we're not serving the one of the Bible, then this is a Jesus that we've made in our own imagination. Right? There's no, there's no way around this. For those who come near me, I will show myself holy. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. This is the New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. God is saying, I devour things. If you come near me, understand that I am holy. So, so in the Old Testament, we have this, this idea of a tabernacle where, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, where there'd be the outer courts and then there'd be the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies where actually the, the box that we just talked about, the Ark of the Covenant w- would be, right? And nobody was allowed to enter this because God would, would just destroy anyone that would walk in because God's holiness and man's sinfulness cannot be in the same, same place, in the same situation. Now, now, why am I keep on driving this point down is because I want to get something across that God hasn't changed. And he d- expects that level of holiness from us that, that he expected from the New Testament people. It's not that God has changed. We cannot say like, well, Jesus is different. Just, Jesus is that. Jesus is that. And, and I came across this, this quote that I think is just so powerful. This is, this is a quote that was written by, if you guys know the Salvation Army, the founder of that. Uh, his name is William Booth. And he wrote this a hundred years ago. And I think if there's one quote that can put all of our Christianity together today is, is this one quote. And he says this, I consider that the chief danger we, which confronts the coming century. So what this guy is doing is saying, I think that this next century, he's talking about us, right? This is going to be the danger they're going to be dealing with, right? So he, he says this, I consider that the chief danger which confronts this coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. And we'll get to that. Politics without God and heaven without hell. Can there be a quote that describes our Christianity more than this? We, we've held on to our religion, but we've denied, you know, the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many of us go day by day saying the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you, how much money should I give in church tonight? Holy Spirit, should I, should I take this job or not? Holy Spirit, what do, what do you have? Who, who should I minister to, to today? Do we walk every single minute led by the Holy Spirit? Or do we just kind of drag the Holy Spirit as like the third cousin that nobody wants to talk to? You know, like it's kind of there and you kind of have to be nice to him. Right? But like, but it's not, the Holy Spirit has to lead us, not we leading the Holy Spirit. So we end up with a Christianity, which is really a religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity was supposed to be a relationship. Christianity is supposed to be a faith. Now, what's happening right now, Harvard University just released a study saying the actual genuine Christianity is on the rise in the U.S. And I'm like, 
thank you, Jesus, at least some good news. What's on decline now is actually people that pretend to be Christians but aren't. So when we read the whole passage, I'm going to start out with, I'm going to rearrange this, but if we want to see a revival, a fire in our generation, right? Like a revival fire that will wake us up. If we want to see God move in our generation, we have to go back to the basics of what God's holiness is, of who the Holy Spirit is. Get rid of any kind of Christless Christianity. We have to go back to the basics of what it's like to walk with Him every single minute, every single second of our lives. That's what we have to go back to. So when we talk about, when, when, when this guy says, William Booth says, that we have a salvation without regeneration, what he is saying is, is we understand the salvation is given to us for free because of what Jesus done on the cross, but it cannot stop there. Salvation is given to us for free, but what happens from that point on is what's called regeneration, where, you know, you guys probably know regeneration of cells, right? Where we, where cells are kind of regenerating to new, new kind of cells, right? And so, so what we're talking about here is, is God has given us the, the salvation for free, but we have to become a new person. We can now walk the same walk, walk that we walked before. We have to go through the process of what's called the sanctification where God makes us more and more like Him every single day. We cannot just accept salvation without actually going doing the, the dirty work, the daily grind of, of trying to forgive the people around us and, and trying to, to walk our Christianity out, even when it's not comfortable, even when we, have to, when we want to give up, even when, when we don't feel inspired, even when we crack under pressure, like no matter what happens, we, we have to go back to, to understanding that, yes, salvation is given to us for free, but sanctification might cost us everything. Regeneration might cost you your dreams, your passions. It might cost you everything that you stand for. It might cost you what career you go into. Your, your, your financial future it may cost you everything because when we look at Apostle Paul, he went from being the, the guy who was persecuting people to being persecuted. The guy who put people in jail to being put in jail. Christianity is not all butterflies and, and, you know, like all these ideas that somehow that your problems go away the moment you encounter Jesus. Yes, salvation is given for free, but from that point on, the, the, the real, like, brokenness, the real breaking of you starts from that point till you die. And although I don't think we, we can ever achieve perfection, God is trying to make you more and more like His, His Son every single day. So, so when we read uh, Galatians, when, when we read this passage in um, Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve another, one another in love. So what he's saying here is, yes, salvation is given you for free, but don't, just because you know you are saved, you cannot use that freedom as, oh, I can do anything I, I, I can because, well, I'm saved. No, use your freedom to actually serve one another. Use your freedom to love one another. That's what we're supposed to do. The reason we have Christianity that's so powerless is because we have to understand this concept of, hey, our Christianity doesn't just stop at being saved. It's every single second thing where we have to die to ourselves and embrace who Christ is and become more and more like him. And on to the next point, when we talk about verse 14, we cannot have any kind of politics without God. When we're talking about politics, we're talking about structures, like how government, you know, 
works, right? How we relate socially to people around us. Well, you might be a Republican or Democrat or this or that or that, but at the end of the day, we have to understand that our politics are not dictated by the, which, which tribe you belong to, but they're dictated by God's principles, and they're dictated by the Holy Spirit. It's, we cannot have our politics without God. I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I look at the Bible and try to see, okay, who's going to embody those principles the most, you know, and then vote for that person. And if that's a Democrat, so be it. So how we relate to one another, how we relate to one another, it has to be godly. It has to be, you know, like our, our structure in the church, right? Because there's church politics. I don't know if you guys know, knew that, but like there's, there's politics in everything. There's politics at work. There's politics in church. There's politics in government. Every, well, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, you get the point, right? We cannot have politics without God. Verse 14 says this, For the whole law can be summed up in one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, be, be aware of destroying one another. We, it, this cannot be politics, well, just because I, I'm for gun control or I'm against gun control. No, it's about I'm Christ-like. That's where my allegiance lies. Use this time to really, you know, serve one another because all the law, how we structure all of our laws have to be love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. That's what it needs to be. We start there. Okay? And next verse, verse 15. We cannot have a faith or a religion without the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be here, I, I'm sorry, but I'm flying out tomorrow and I'll be back, you know, probably next Friday. But they're starting a series called Forgotten God on Sunday. I really encourage you to be there. We cannot have, we cannot pretend to have church without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of power. It's not some kind of dumb power. Electricity is some dumb power. It takes the path of least resistance, right? Like it just it just looks for the least resistance way to get to the, to the, but the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He, he is gentle and kind. You cannot have a Christianity apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to lead every single, Jesus says, you know, when disciples talk about, Jesus leaving, and, and Jesus says, it's better that I leave. Well, what can be possibly better than actually having Jesus with you every single day? And Jesus looks at them and says, it's better that I leave, because if I, I, don't, if I don't leave, the comforter, the Holy Spirit is not going to come. So Jesus is saying, it's better that the Holy Spirit li- lives inside of you instead of me just walking alongside of you. And I truly believe, like I've said before, that one day you might ask Moses and David, like, well, how, what was it like when the, Holy Spirit, when, when the Spirit came over you? And he'll, he'll look at you and say, what was it like for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you? What was it like to actually follow the Holy Spirit? And I, I wonder what our, our expression, well, we didn't really know him that well. You know, like, he was there, but sort of. We cannot have a Christianity. And look, look at this. Verse 16 says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants to do. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, you are not under obligation 
to the law of Moses. It says the Holy Spirit will help you if you've been dealing with sin, if you've been dealing with depression, if you've been dealing with addiction, and you've been trying to fix that on your own, stop. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us, that transforms us. Yield everything that you have to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to change you and transform you. Seek His presence. Instead of going reading self-help books and all that, seek His presence every single day, every single moment. So the Holy Spirit, and every single, he, He'll convict you. Every single time you, you start to kind of like deviate. You see, the whole, God didn't say that Slavi's going to come and is going to teach you all things, or Vadim's going to teach you all things, or Pastor Russell's going to teach you all things. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not going to be a prophet, you know, like, coming in a suit and tie and like, I'm a prophet. Serve me now. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to teach you. Now, obviously, we don't want to like dismiss prophecy. Obviously, we want to respect and honor prophets. But really, the the very core of our teaching should be the Holy Spirit teaching us. We cannot have a Christianity without the Holy Ghost. We cannot have a religion without the Holy Spirit. Next one is this. We have... Uh, three more and we're done. And I'm going to try to go this, uh, through these really quick. Uh, and then we'll have, we'll, we'll have some extended prayer and we'll have the, the worship come up. But, but we cannot have or preach forgiveness without repentance. I want you to listen to me. We cannot preach forgiveness or have forgiveness without repentance. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Repentance is if I'm going this direction, I'm turning around, I'm going this direction. Exactly 180. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, I'm not doing this again. And by God, I'm going to do everything. If I, if I have to be dragged, I, I will not give into this. If I have to spend every single minute of my waking hour to be at the cross, I'm going to do that. But, but I will seek repentance with every single thing, every single fiber of my being. Look at this. Galatians 5.19 says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, um, jealousy, outbursts of anger, self-ambitions, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can come and ask for forgiveness every single Friday, but if you're not repenting, if you're not turning from your sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you should really wonder if you're saved or not. I don't know how much more plain I can make that. If we are not repenting every single day, then you should wonder if you're saved. If you are living a sinful lifestyle and there's no conviction in your life, then you should wonder if the Holy Spirit is really active in your life or not. I mean, this is some serious stuff. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean to question anybody's salvation here, but I'm just saying, if, you, if you're not getting convicted by the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in sinful, like if your life is, 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 is I'm not talking about like a one-time you sin and this and that. I'm talking about a constant lifestyle of sin. And if you don't feel even convicted, then the Holy Spirit is not active in your life. And, and, and this should be really scary for you because it is. We cannot keep on preaching, oh, God forgives everything, God forgives. No, God says there's a time for you to turn around because you can be dead tomorrow and you might not be able to turn around. Mercy is amazing, but it's not going to go on forever. 
So, so my encouragement is when we call towards prayer is, is if you've been living the kind of lifestyle, stop thinking about what your neighbors think, think of you and come to the altar and say, God, I want to I wanna come and repent. God, give me the strength to turn around. God, would you, would you give me the strength to completely turn around? We cannot preach God forgives and all that without actually calling to repentance. And the last two is this, that second to last is we cannot have a Christless Christianity. Everything in Christianity is built on Jesus and the sacrifice and the resurrection that he's done on the cross. Without Jesus' sacrifice, we're still in our sins. Without his resurrection, we're still going to die. We might as well party and do all those things. Jesus is the great redeemer. Jesus is the one who turned everything around. Jesus is the one who transformed, who saw you and said, for the sake of, of you, I'm willing to leave heaven behind that I might develop a relationship with you. Jesus is the one who was not high up and high to, 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 to now wash the feet of his disciples. Talk about humbleness. Talk about serving. The God of the universe that created everything stooped down to our level to wash our feet. That is amazing. And in Galatians 22 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your, our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every single part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Those who came to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to come and gently He's going to start changing you. And you used to be extremely combatant. You used to be extremely angry, but God's going to turn around. He's going to make you kind. He's going to make you loving, and He's going to give you a new hope to live for. He's going to give you what we know as the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you've been dealing with sin, you cannot exercise self-control the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and says, my whole job, the Holy Spirit is like the groomsman who, well, the best man who comes and prepares the bride for Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and starts to, to deal with you because he prepares you to enter into a covenant relationship and to make you more like Jesus every single day. Our goal is not to just get saved. Our goal is to become like him. So my question to you is this, are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Are you more like Jesus today than you were five years ago? Because here's the the last point that's so scary. We cannot preach heaven without preaching hell. We cannot preach heaven without preaching hell. Hell is a real place. When was the last time you thought about hell? Nobody wants to think about that. We act like our lives go, go on forever. No, we, we think of death as taboo. Like it, it's just not going to happen to us. Like, you know it's 100% unless you're Enoch or you know, Elijah. You know it's 100% every one of, of us, and unless Jesus comes, obviously, sooner and we don't die. But like, 
for the most part, is 100%. But we act like this is going to go on forever. Truth of the matter is, is that hell is a real place. And the last thing you want to see is people that went to this church going there. People that heard the same teaching. And unfortunately, what's happening right now in our modern-day Christianity is people don't want to talk about that. Oh, you're just a gloom and doom preacher. Oh, you're just... And I look at this, like, all these pastors, they're like, they go up there and they start talking about how if you're this, it's okay, God loves, God forgives, God this. And it's like, you do realize what you're doing. One day, these people are going to look at you and say, you told me I was okay. You told me I was fine. I didn't need repentance. I didn't need to come to the cross. I didn't need to come to the altar. And one day, they're going to have to answer for this. But here's the good news. That if we do this, if we can have, you know, if we can have salvation with regeneration and sanctification where we are changing and become like Jesus, if we can have politics with God, if, if we can look at every single thing in light of our relationship with God, if we can have faith and power by the Holy Spirit, if we can forgive and not, not just be forgiven and forgive, but change and transform and repent constantly every single day of our lives, if we can have a Christ-centered Christianity, (laughs) if we can preach heaven and hell and say these are two real places that people will go to, you know what happens? You know the promise is? The fire that we talked about that destroys things becomes the fire that refines things. God will come and not destroy you in the lake of fire, but destroy your sin destroy your brokenness I look so forward to the day when God redeems me completely so I don't no longer have to deal with lustful thoughts and wrong motivations when God is going to come and purify every single person when he's going to burn away every single thing that is sinful Imagine a world with no evil, no rape, no murder. How would, I mean, do you love sunsets and sunrises? Do you love the ocean? And, and, and the, imagine this world without evil. That's what heaven is, is, is a relationship with him. And God, the creator of all this, will put us in a place where we no longer have evil, murder, rape, lying, cheating, stealing, all these things. That's the promise that we have that he one day will deal away with all of this. He'll, he'll, he'll do away with, with Satan and his demons and his dominion. He'll deal away with every single motivation that's, that is, is sinful and, and so on and so forth. God's fire burns but just like when Moses came to that bush, the, the interesting thing about that bush was that it was on fire, but it wasn't burning out. When you start to actually do these things and you're a leader in the, in the church and you start burning with God's fire, there's no such thing as burning out. There's no such thing as giving up. You know why? Because he only burns what it shouldn't be there. He doesn't destroy you. He forges you. 
just like metals compress all those molecules under pressure and under, under, under fire, be it on a diamond or a metal, like God is doing that to you. He's, he's, he's refining you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. He's making you into a new being. He's making you more like Christ day by day. That's what the fire of God can do. So when we talk about revival, if we're going to see revival in our youth ministry, revival in our church, it has to start here. It cannot be what this guy, obviously, I think this was a prophecy because this is exactly what we live in. I consider the chief danger which confronts this coming century will be religion without Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. That needs to turn around. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.